Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. We're headed to Matthew 27 today as we take a look at the death of Jesus Christ, the violence of it, and the victory of it. It's all coming up. Join us. From Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose, greetings in Christ and welcome to our program. Our time together today takes us to Matthew 27, verses 27 through 50, as we take a look at the violent death of Jesus Christ. And it is a violent one for good reason and good purpose. Join us as we examine this together here today on Abounding Grace. With today's broadcast, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. I want us to look at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross through Matthew 27. And next week, we'll examine the victorious death of Jesus Christ. But I want us to spend today as a church family standing at the foot of the cross. There is a sense for all of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in which we were all there at the cross. We were all there in Christ. And when He died... We died because he was our God-ordained representative. So let's go back slightly over 2,000 years and revisit Calvary to that hill called Golgotha. I want us to stand and see and hear, to feel and believe and to trust yet again in the Lamb of God, who was lifted up to die for our sins upon that cross. The single most identifying sign of Christianity is the cross. We see crosses everywhere. There are crosses atop churches, crosses on church letterheads, crosses on pulpits, crosses on jewelry, crosses in cemeteries, even crosses tattooed on people's bodies. There are more crosses in America than there is any other symbol. And Christianity is singly identified by the cross. The sum and the substance of all that Christianity is contained in the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the climatic apex of all of redemptive history. Everything in the Old Testament was leading up hill to Mount Calvary and that cross. And everything since has been leading away from what is the very center of the universe, the cross. The cross is the very focal point of God's plan of salvation. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament 
and every priest that went behind the temple veil was all a foreshadowing of the cross. God's redeeming work culminated in the cross where Jesus bore the sins of many. And it's a strange paradox that the cross would come to represent Christianity. Because the cross was the most offensive form of capital punishment in the first century, and perhaps in all the centuries of the world, history of the world combined. The cross was the electric chair of the first century. The cross was the hangman's noose of earlier times. Crucifixion was a violent form of punishment that was passed down to the Romans from the Persians and the Phoenicians and the Carthaginians. But the Romans perfected it to an art form in which they intensely tried to draw out an already slow death by inflicting maximum torture upon those who were being crucified. There was no more cruel or barbaric way of death than death upon a cross. It was savage. It was vicious. It was sadistic. It was merciless. It was heinous. It was bloodthirsty. It was ruthless. It was inhumane. It was fiendish. The great Roman statesman and Orator Cicero, writing a century before Christ's death, called crucifixion a most cruel and disgusting punishment. Cicero added later, Cicero added later, it is a crime to put a Roman citizen in chains. It's an enormity to flog one, sheer murder to slay one. What then shall I say of crucifixion? It is impossible to find the words for such an abomination. Cicero then added this as well. Let the very mention of the cross be far removed, not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, and his ears. What Cicero said, representing the mindset of the Roman Empire at the time, was, I don't want to even hear about the cross. I don't want to see a cross. I don't want to have anything to do with the cross because it is so sadistic and so inhumane. The same offense was taken by the Jews. They understood the cross to mean that the crucified person was abandoned by God. This person, they felt, would be lifted up from the earth suspended between God and the earth, rejected by man and rejected by God, as if hanging in midair, having no home for his heart or his soul. The act was so offensive to the Jews that crucifixion wasn't even allowed to take place in the city of Jerusalem. One must go outside the city for the crucifixion. The Jews thought nothing was more barbaric, nothing was more offensive, nothing was crueler than death by crucifixion. And yet, this is the very heart of the Christian's life. 
It is the very epicenter of our faith. This is the very message of Christianity. Paul said, we preach Christ and him crucified. It was the message that the early church disciples and the early church went forth into the world to proclaim that the Son of Man, the Son of God, has been crucified upon a cross for the sins of all of those who would believe. Only God could design that cross. Here is the wisdom of God from before the foundation of the world, that He would send His Son into this world, and that He would be a king who would die upon a cross. And today... I want us to be struck with the enormity of this death. That Jesus Christ died a very cruel death. I want us to be struck with the wisdom of God. I want us to be struck with the seriousness of our sin. And that God would confine His Son to such a death as this. And I want us to glory in the triumph of Christ on our behalf. I want to begin by setting before you the shame Christ suffered. As I read verses 33 through 38, visiting the cross, I want you to see his utter shame. The dishonor that was associated with the death of the Son of God. And there are five things that I want you to notice about the shame that he suffered. His crucifixion was, first of all, took place in a shameful location. Verse 33, And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, this was the shameful place where our Lord was crucified. It was outside the city limits, and Jesus died there with, as a common criminal. He was condemned in Pilate's judgment hall, And he was forced to carry his own cross through the streets of Jerusalem on that dreaded death march. Of course, Simon of Cyrene came along with him and helped him carry that cross out of the city wall uh, to the place that is called Golgotha. And Golgotha means, as it is told here in the Hebrew, the place of the skull. In Latin, it is Calvary. It is called the place of the skull because the outline of the hill actually resembled a skull. But also because there were thousands of people crucified there. And a skull is an allusion to death. Many who died there were rebels against the authority of Rome. It was considered a place of reproach. It was where the trash from Jerusalem was taken. It was where human excrement was dumped. It is where all the roughage and refuge was taken outside of the city. And one who was crucified there was considered unworthy. Christ, in fact, was deemed to be the refuge and the excrement of society. So he was to be taken outside the gates of the city. In verse 34, it says, The authorities gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. After Christ tasted it, he was unwilling to drink it. This 
mixture was meant to stupefy the criminal. And of course, not out of any sense of mercy that the executioners might have for the ones being crucified. After all, these were professionals. They signed up for this job. They wanted to do this because of the benefits that they received. There was not one drop or ounce of mercy in these executioners. They didn't offer this mixture to ease the pain of the Lord Jesus Christ. They did it to make their job easier. If he could be put into a passive state, it would be easier for them to stretch him out on the cross and nail his wrist to the cross beam. Then in verse 35, we see the second aspect to the shame he suffered. Verse 35 says, And they crucified him. Do you know what should strike you and me when we read this? It is how this is recorded in such a passing way. There are no details. In fact, crucified is not even the main verb of this sentence. It is a part of what augments the beginning of the sentence. It is simply an addendum. It's almost as if it is just said in a passing way when they had crucified him. This form of public execution was reserved only for condemned criminals who were guilty of capital crimes such as insurrection and terrorism or treason and murder. There's no mention anywhere in the entire Bible about the details of Jesus being crucified. There is no record of Jesus being laid on the ground on top of the cross beam and his hands being nailed to it. There is no mention of his feet being nailed to the upright beam. There is no mention that his arms had to be stretched out across the horizontal beam, nailed by his wrist just above his hands. There is absolutely no mention of any of the specifics of how it is that Jesus was crucified except this simple statement, and they crucified him. It is so shameful. It is so despicable. It is so despised. There's not even any detail for us to see. It is as if there is a veil that's someone drawn over the very act itself. As if it's, as if it's not even fit to be read in mixed company. Then notice third. The shameful exposure. They divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots, it says. The fact that they divided up his garments meant he had no clothing, beloved. This means that the executioner came and stripped our Lord naked. He was left without any clothing or earthly possessions. He was humiliated. The one to be crucified normally wore six pieces of clothing. Sandals, inner cloak, headpiece, belt, outer cloak, tunic. And the executioners would divide up this clothing. This was their benefit. This was their so-called benefit package. 
Not one, not only would they receive a salary, but they would keep anything they could strip from the one being crucified. And as Christ was being lifted up in this shameful place, he was left in shameful exposure. Even his mother was standing at the foot of the cross. This is humiliation beyond what any one of us can even imagine. And in verse 36, you get the feeling that the executioners must have had ice water running through their veins. It says, sitting down, they began watching him there. They're playing games at the foot of the cross. They're casting lot for his clothes. They cared not one iota for Christ. Beloved, how can any normal person look on and participate in such a barbaric act upon another human being and not feel remorse? They must have seen Jesus, the King of all kings, as something less than a dog to be abused at their will. Then verse 37 and the shameful sign. Above his head laid up a charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now for us, that's literally a gospel witness. We rejoice to read this, but this is not how it was intended in that day. This was intended by Pilate to be an absolute offensive insult to the Jewish people. The Jewish leadership has called for the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, even with the release of Barabbas, a known insurrectionist. And Pilate has been put under political pressure to now offer up Jesus Christ in order to maintain some type of civil peace. And in an act of one-upmanship that Pilate might have the last word with the Jews. He had this written and placed at the head of the cross to rub it into the Jewish leaders' faces. This is your king. This despicable, condemned, naked, rejected, forsaken criminal is your king. So this sign was written in scorn and mockery and taunting and belittling. It was a shameful sign that was placed above Christ's head. His diadem was a crown of thorns. His throne was the cross. His robe was his nakedness. His attendants were Roman executioners. And his majesty was his misery. You never expect to find this concerning a king. You expect to find a king in his palace. You expect to find a king set on a throne with jewels inset that throne. You would never even find kings in common places such as the marketplace or someone's home. Kings lived in royal accompaniment. And yet here is this shameful sign that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Added to that in verse 38 is the shameful association as Jesus now dies publicly 
in between two of the most notorious public enemies of that time. We read in verse 38, two thieves were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Now, we, when we read this in our English translations, and it says two thieves, we almost think of possibly two cat burglars or two teenagers, you know, who've run into a 7-Eleven and grabbed some goodies and ran out without being caught. We, we think of them as just petty robbers, and that's quite far from the truth. This word thief in verse 38 was used also to describe Barabbas, a guerrilla soldier. He was, to use modern terminology, a terrorist. Barabbas was intent on overthrowing the Roman Empire. He was a zealot of zealots. And the two men on each side of the Lord were probably companions of Barabbas. Barabbas, to put it on our terms, was something like Osama bin Laden of our day. He was public enemy number one. He was the most notorious criminal in all of this part of the ancient world. And now here is Jesus, most probably dying on a cross that was meant for Barabbas. Barabbas and his two terrorist cohorts were to be publicly executed. But in an exchange, Barabbas is removed and Jesus is inserted. And Jesus now guilty by association, is dying on this cross in the most shameful company there could possibly be, as if he is a cohort in their crimes. And is seen in the watching eyes of the people as one of the most despicable crime criminals of that time. Everything about the cross was shameful. It involved a shameful place, Golgotha, a shameful form of execution, crucifixion. He was shamefully exposed, naked. A shameful sign stating he was king of the Jews hung above his head, and a shameful association as he was crucified between two so-called thieves. Beloved, if Jesus was to die in our place, and if Jesus was to bear our sins, he had to absorb all of the shame that accompanies sin itself. He could not die as a hero. He could not die as one lifted up in the eyes of the people. He had to die as one who bears the shame of all sin itself. And for any of us to know this Christ, and for any of us to come to this Christ by faith, we must come acknowledging the shame of our own sins as well. We must come acknowledging the dishonor that our sins have brought to the holiness of God. In Hebrews 13, it says that if we are to have Jesus, who was crucified outside the city, for our sins, then we must go outside the city to have him. We cannot remain in a pretty place and have a shameful Christ. 
We cannot decorate or pretend like there is no sin that must be atoned for if we are to have this Savior. We must be willing to bear the shame of confessing our sin to Him and to leave the popularity of the city and the applause of the world and to go outside the city and take our stand with such a shameful Savior as Christ. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 